This week in the Ink Studs, I'm playing an interview I did about three years ago, just a little over three years ago, with publisher and cartoonist Dylan Williams. Dylan passed away on Saturday, and uh, his loss is a pretty big loss for comics, as well as personal loss for a lot of really great folks. Um, we're all going to miss Dylan and uh, think the world of him. Uh, check out the work that he's published at sparkplugcomics.com as well as his series Reporter and um, there's a really poignant story he did about uh, cartoonist Alex Toth that passed away about five five or six years ago um, that's kind of fitting which is printed in Windy Corner number two an anthology put together by Austin English well worth checking out if you can track it down CITR 101.9 FM. Jeez, I'm not used to those punk songs. They're so quick. There we go. Have I got you, Phil? How are you doing? Oh, fabulous. There we go. Inkstud, CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Inkstud Show, the radio show where we talk about what, Phil? What's that? Oh, we talk about comics. There we go. Yeah. Uh, that was Gorilla Biscuits. Um, song was Start Today. Uh, today's special guest is Dylan Williams. Dylan is the publisher of uh, a small uh, comics outfit out of Portland um, because... Really, if you're doing comics, I think you're supposed to live in Portland. Oh, there we go. I had my mic turn around sideways. Um, Sparkplug Books. And uh, we're going to talk to Dylan about his comics and other people's comics, maybe. Because from what I understand, Dylan's a fan of comics, which I guess you have to be if you're going to sink money into putting them out. So have we got you there, Dylan? Hi. Excellent. How are you doing today? Good. Um, It's a little hard to hear you guys both. Okay, here, I'll turn up our mics. There we go. How's that? Yeah. There we go. I think they're just turned down. So um, I guess we'll start out with, uh, tell us about your publishing house. 
I, I, I guess publishing house is the wrong term to use. Tell us about Sparkplug. Well, it is kind of published out of my house. There we so go. That makes sense. But uh, I started a small company about, well, I don't know, what was it 2002 or something like that? And, uh, and it's just stayed small, and I just have a storage space where I uh, keep all the books that I print uh, and sell them to people. <laughs> And I publish a lot of uh, people who do uh, self-publishing and mini-comics, because that's basically where my interests lie. So You do a lot of uh, distro as well as publishing. Yeah, I just started that about a year ago, and it's actually really turned out to be re- super fun and, you know, just as interesting for me, so I keep on doing it. Awesome. So what was the uh, inspiration to start your own publishing house? <laughs> We're going to tell you uh, this high flutin' terms today. Who? Uh, Ian McKay and uh, Minor Threat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, basically, just ever since I was a kid, I've always sort of looked up to, like, you know, people who did all their own stuff. And I kind of, you know, just I was on that path anyway. And, and it just, you know, it made, it made sense for me to, to sell other people's books for me because... I love, you know, talking about other people's comics. So, you know, Philip is a great example. I just, you know, he's a he's um, one of the people I'm always pushing on people. So I really <laughs> like uh, I like doing that, and it's more fun than than pushing my own stuff, which is really boring and not worth doing. I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean you don't agree because you like to push your own stuff, or you like to push Dylan's stuff? Oh, that's Dylan's stuff is deadly. Sort of. Keeps his light under the bushel a little bit, but uh, you know I think it's great, some great stuff there. Yeah, you've got you've got such a, a broad range of books there as well, Dylan. Like a, we're just looking at the the Asia addict, for instance. Like, and then uh, you've got like the tales to demolish, like which is sort of a classic, sort of rambunctious storytelling, like at its best. And then there's the sort of more meditative uh, stuff from Jeff Levine, like the watching days become years. It's a lovely range of material, like and very very individual voices. I think is sort of a uniting factor. Wow, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you should uh, write PR for uh, Sparkplug. <laughs> <laughs> if if Phil has anything to say, it's always the nicest thing. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I agree. We, we, y- y- it's still a little hard to hear him. I, it's not just the, the Irish accent. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Yeah, you got to get more direct on that mic there, Phil. Yeah, I've, in his face. It. I've been learning to project lately, oh. but... Uh, Here, we'll just... I have just taken away my pop guard, so I'm going to be very sibilant for a bit. <laughs> so please excuse that. <laughs> no spitting. Spitting. No. Spitting. So what was some of the first stuff you published? Was it yourself just pushing yourself out, or was it kind of picking something that really you thought was awesome and needed to be put out? Oh, that's a... That's a super big question, because uh, I mean, as Sparkplug comic books, the first thing I published was was a book of my own, uh, and then the next thing was Orchid and Fleep, or were Orchid and Fleep at about the same time. Um, but I've actually been publishing my own comics and publishing other people's comics since. 1988 or 9? 88, yeah. Wow. So. <laughs> That's a lot of DIY. <laughs> and, uh, it's, you know, it, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but I guess it is. <laughs> we were uh, looking at the Orchid 
uh, both of us today um, before the show. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because uh, a lot of the folks in there now have some great stuff out. Oh yeah. Are, are they now have their they they have their own books like which is pretty amazing like when you see the Gabriel Bell and Kevin Isenga of course and like Ben Catmull's in there as well like a lot of these people have Todd Bach just had a book come out from Bodega. Too. That's right. Yeah, I just, yeah. just actually picked that up today. It looks great. Yeah. And it's massive. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's a great it's great like a, it's sort of like a a foothold when you know we putting stuff out there. I think it's it's something that a lot of people don't realize like when you're when you're working on comics it's like it's a big step to actually put things out there because uh, i think the books they become something else once they're out in the world yeah. and it gives uh, it's getting a start like that getting distribution and getting comment back from people it's it's like a huge uh, it's a huge step i think in any artist's movement <laughs> yeah i always worry that it's you know maybe putting people too much in the limelight or something like that i don't know for me it's yeah i don't know it's just it's hard to 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 know each artist is different and some some really want to be you know as as promoted and all that as possible and others just want to do a book and Mm -hmm. that's it (laughs) i've I've noticed that while doing the show and trying to get people to be on the show and some would be are all over it and others just not quite their thing Actually, yeah, it's so. Shannon O'Leary that got me to do this. <laughs> she prodded me. She's my new uh, promotions person for Sparkplug, and so she really pushed, uh, you know, doing an interview and, and doing some readings at the library in town and things like that. She's fantastic. <laughs> so, Orchid, what was the uh, thought? That was like one of your first uh, Sparkplug things you're saying. So what was the thought behind the anthology? Uh, it together, like started kind of off me and Ben Catmull wanted to do a uh, anthology of H.P. Lovecraft stories, and then we realized that H.P. Lovecraft stories were just being constantly done, <laughs> turned into comics, and uh, we decided to pick a bunch of stories that we really liked, and then that we gave up on that idea and just decided to let people choose whatever uh, Victorian horror stories they wanted, and some of them, like Green Tea, we sort of i gave kevin like a list of you know or, you know different ones that i thought he might be interested in he chose that one other people knew exactly what they wanted you know gabrielle bell wanted Saki immediately actually she was worried that he wasn't horror enough so. <laughs> <laughs> but. one of my favorites in there is actually the the david lasky one. Oh yeah who's a marvelous <laughs> illustrator like he's just fantastic but yep. this is like it's just about word placement david is the one comic artist that needs to have a collection of his work done and nobody's done one it's frustrating <laughs> i concur his um i, I know that the, i think he's working on the um carter family stuff isn't he yeah that he yeah. had in the creamer's ergot which is fantastic so no i totally agree he's uh, got those things in uh, hotwire too which make no sense really beautiful <laughs> they make they're wonderful looking but i can't get heads nor tail of them <laughs> and and I, I think he can't either yeah, he was actually saying that, I think. <laughs> Making sense is overrated sometimes, anyway. I am a fan of uh, Burroughs, and half the time it's just not making any sense. It's all about the flow. Yeah. And that's the fantastic thing about Lasky's story is that it is, it's interesting and just very minimal stuff. So did, did you take much editorial direction, or is it you just kind of picked folks that you had a lot of trust in and just see what happens? Yeah, I think I basically just... Uh, actually, it's Ben and I both, you know, co-edited it. So we both uh, 
just pick people we really liked and let them sort of do whatever, no page limits or anything like that. And it uh, was just a total blast to do. <laughs> now, you're saying you uh, first started putting out stuff by other people in the, uh, the fine days of the late 80s. What kind of stuff were you doing then? I uh, started with a mini-comic in Berkeley called Whiplash, and then continued with a book called Strange Air, which I started publishing in a class taught by Maury Turner at Laney College in uh, Oakland. <laughs> and uh, that was just, both of those were just sort of anthologies. And Whiplash actually existed before me and a bunch of my friends, uh, uh, before I got involved, and a bunch of my friends were publishing it, and so I just got involved in it and then started working with them. But uh, Strange Air was just something I published on my own. You know, I printed, like, whatever, I don't know, a couple hundred or something. So did you get pretty involved in, like, the mini-comic scene before jumping into the spark plug? Oh, yeah. Well, I still, I still like, see myself as that. I don't really want to be part of the big <laughs> comic scene. I'd rather... I, I love mini-comics, and I love that people do stuff themselves, and they're, you know, they're into that sort of culture. That's, I don't know, it's weird. I've tried to... I did a book for Slave Labor years ago, and I did a book for Aeon years ago, and I tried to sort of get into the the more, you know, above-ground comic scene or whatever, and it just didn't really fit for me. It doesn't really feel comfortable, so I love minis. I, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> I, uh, I, go, I go to Stumptown, I have tons of fun, I go to Emerald City, and I want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually a, a show in Stumptown, it's awesome now, but... There's a, uh, a show in Portland called the Zine Symposium, which is just my favorite show of all time. And I always come home with just so much stuff that I want to read and so many interesting, you know, I, you get, like, vegan cookies and all kinds of great baked food <laughs> and stuff. And it's just it's so much fun. <laughs> so when did you uh, relocate or locate to Portland? I don't know uh, the proper term to use there. I think in, like, 96 or something, we moved to Olympia, Washington, and lived there for about a year and a half. Back in the Riot Girl days? Actually, that's post-Riot Girl yeah, days, isn't it? Yeah, slightly post-Riot Girl. It was like when uh, K Records was like really going strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, and actually, it's funny, we moved into the same building that Mr. Mike moved into, Mike Haig, who uh, did uh, Ron Jeremy's War Journal, and he's been, he's sort of a Minneapolis comic, you know, uh, I don't know, leader. <laughs> that's Icon? Kind of what? Icon. Yeah, icon. That's a good word. Uh, I don't know if he'd want me saying either of those things. But uh, <laughs> but I was I knew him through Zach Sally, and uh, we just moved into the same apartment building just by chance. And so I spent you know two years basically just drinking myself crazy with uh, Mr. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, then we moved to Portland, and didn't know a lot of people here, but my. Uh, my fiance Emily is uh, an interior designer, and she went to school here. And we just got to know people. Uh, that was probably ninety nine, ninety seven. I don't know, somewhere in ninety eight. Let's call it ninety eight. And uh, has Portland been pretty um, center for you, uh, pushing yourself to do the pu- to get into publishing, or it's just something that you kind of felt after um, kind of seeing what you want to see put out has it has it been what has it been um played a role in you publishing your own work oh 
because uh, it's such a cartoonist mecca. Yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't it's, it's use weird. that term when I anymore. moved here. It wasn't quite as big a cartoonist mecca. There was, you know, there were enough people, but it was it was still a little bit smaller. And uh, I think I don't know. It's weird because I I was in the Bay Area during you know I was just listening to the Frankie Santoro show and oh yeah and, uh, I was in the Bay Area during that whole heyday and so it seemed like when I moved here there was hardly anybody doing it and then. You know, it seems like within the past 10 years, it's just become just as much as it was in the Bay Area back in the early 90s. So. But now, uh, I guess it's also that I got to know people, too. So. <laughs> now, um, you know, more promotion for Stumptown. I've been mentioning a bunch okay. lately. Let's talk a little bit about the thing you're throwing on the Friday. Oh. Uh, we're throwing a reading and award ceremony and book premiere at Guapo Comics on Foster Road, and it's at 8 p.m. on Friday the 25th, I think? Yes. Okay. <laughs> now, what's the book that you're premiering? Uh, it's called, well, actually, it's gonna, there's technically there's going to be a couple books that premiere, but uh, the big one is a book called Nerd Burglar, and it's a uh, free comic <laughs> anthology that uh, Greg Means, Tugboat Press, Greg, who runs Tugboat Press. And Tugboat's the group that puts out a paper cutter, right? Yeah, yep. yep. Exactly. Fantastic anthology. And uh, Tim Goodyear, who does Teenage Dinosaur, he published a book by uh, Dash Shaw and a new, new book by Matt Fury called Boys Club. They're both amazing. But uh, he's also Bobby Madness's publisher now, too, which is sort of a coup. But uh, he, uh, he and Greg and I all just uh, wanted to publish a uh, free anthology and we decided to uh, to do it for Stumptown. <laughs> nice. And it's, there's about eight artists in it. And there there are eight artists in it. And um, could name them all. <laughs> I know Sarah Lixix in it. Yep. And Priscilla did the cover and the story inside. Aaron Stanky, Aaron Nels Stanky, sorry, did the uh, <laughs> the back cover and the story inside. Jennifer Parks, who's uh, member of the pony club gallery did a story who else uh, uh tim root who's uh a, a portland comics uh celebrity of sorts uh he'd probably get mad at me for saying that too uh did uh, did a great story in it uh bobby madness did a story that's bound to get us uh, in trouble with somebody and awesome and uh last but definitely not least uh uh well, two people actually. Geez, Elijah Brubaker and uh, uh, Sean Granton did a story about uh, the Portland freeway system, which is amazing. Too. So it's a great book. I'm looking forward to picking it up, <laughs> and it's free. <laughs> Last year, I tried to make it to the uh, the reading, but unfortunately, my oh. traveling companions. I showed up um, with a couple of people at like midnight, and we missed everything and oh. drank our sorrows away in some crappy Irish bar across the street. <laughs> Bar Carlo, is that it? Like, uh, quite possibly. Very <laughs> smoky, and I got a huge glass of bourbon that... Ooh. Yeah, some Knob Creek. I love oh. a good whiskey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyone who sees me in Stumptown, buy me some whiskey, and I'll be happy. <laughs> That's the way to your heart. There we go. Yeah, that and comics. I think Philip's like that, too, right, Aren't? Yeah. <laughs> used to be. Used to be of calm down a little bit. But, uh, uh, I don't know yeah. about that. I had him over at my place, and he had some of my... Uh, what was it? 
can't remember now. Uh, some of that Scottish stuff, like, yeah. Put you mad in the head. Belvedere. Wow. Or is it Belvini? That's what it was. The Belvini. It was tasty stuff. But I digress. <laughs> it's not the, the whiskey hour, so to say. Um, I'm going to play a quick song break. Okay. Uh, what would you like to hear? Uh, I think I would like to hear uh, the Bad Finger song. Oh, I think I, the ones I sent in were in order, I think. Of uh, what you want here? Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay, and I burnt them off in that order. So, mm-hmm. Excellent. So we'll be right back, folks. Uh, up next, Bad Finger. We're for the dark. And uh, thanks to CITR 101.9 FM.
CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Ink Stud Show, the radio show where we talk about comics. Um, next week, I will be playing a special interview I did uh, last month with Gary Panter. And I think after I edited all the music, it'll be three hours long. So if you're a Gary Panter fan, first hour will be played on air here at CITR 101.9 FM. And all of it will be available at inkstuds.com. And uh, I had so much fun doing this. Like, It's hard doing a long interview like that, but that was one of the ones that left me hyped. So very comparable to the time when I sat down with Kim Deitch for an epic amount of time. And uh, I think the week after that will be Brandon Graham. Hopefully, I just I gotta track the boy down. He's in town a lot, so I'm gonna be on the road to some town when that show's playing. So I gotta do pre-recorded ones. Good times, good times. We're uh, speaking with uh, Dylan Williams about his uh, um, publishing enterprise. I think that's the term we're gonna use now. We've moved up from publishing house, uh, Sparkplug Comics. Now you've got uh, some regular titles. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of those? And uh, the the two that uh, strike the minds of uh, me and Phil are um, the uh, Tales to Demolish, as well as the uh, Watching Days Become Years, and the newest thing, which I haven't been able to get my hands on, is uh, the Reich series. Do I have them all? I think that's it. There's some others, others that are technically uh, ongoing series, but we've only done one issue or something. So. <laughs> they have yet to merit the uh, continuousness. So, I guess, tell us about Tales of Demolished uh, for people that might want to check it out. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> well, there's, there are only uh, three issues, and uh, we plan to continue on. Actually, right now, uh, Eric's going to be doing a series for uh, Buena Ventura Press out of uh, Oakland, who I really like, too. They're uh, Alvin and I are sort of friends, and uh, we, you know have really similar taste in mm-hmm. comics. I could see a lot of overlap between what the, the two of you do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's actually publishing Ted May now, too, who uh, did It Live. Yeah. Uh, with Ted. <laughs> but uh, Tales to Demolish is a uh, series and, and sort of like a couple things I've published. Uh, Eric uh, was uh, taking it around at San Diego, and Ben Catmull called me from San Diego and said... Eric is walking around with the book trying to uh, to get people interested in it, and I was immediately uh, ready to publish it, <laughs> uh, with that sight unseen. But uh, Eric is probably one of my oldest influences in, uh, in alternative comics or whatever. He did a book called Angry Man in the early 90s or whatever. Him and Zach Sally were both like gigantic influences on me. And so it uh, it was just made perfect sense to publish it. But uh, Eric's stuff is it's sort of all over the place. It's not always uh, funny or serious, but it's always beautifully drawn and surreal. So I think those would be the two uh, pitch words. Oddball <laughs> and madcap, madcap. Huh? Yeah, it was, it's not always oddball. That's the thing, and no. it's not always madcap, but. <laughs> I think the third issue really is. If the first issue has his more like morose side, which I really like. There's but, a there's uh, a there's a beautiful part in the the third issue though where he's uh, he's making himself like a, a fried egg sandwich and every time I make a fried egg sandwich <laughs> now I always think of that scene and the little bit of chili sauce. It's just such a it's so beautifully rendered. It's a 
It's a really great little point in the story, and it makes the story sick, which I, lo- I love that sort of the mundane every day and then switching to the fantastical, and it sort of got a little nice I think little. It's, it's weird. His stuff always refers back to... Uh, like the early Marvel comics, and and I think there's that kind of mundane quality in the early Marvel comics too, where you know Peter Parker would do stuff like that, and I think that's a big influence on him. That kind of like you know Ben Grimm having like you know a whole relationship with the people in his neighborhood and things like that. <laughs> that uh, that Eric was really uh, into those. <laughs> it's fo- I guess it's following it up to uh, the next uh, logical level. <laughs> kind of um, taking different aspects of the Marvel stuff. Um, and Reich, now, it's about the uh, pseudo-famed um, psychiatrist, Wilhelm Reich, who uh, was banned by the AMA. He's a fascinating guy. Uh, he got he died in jail, didn't he? Spoilers. Uh, I'm ruining the comic. <laughs> See, I've been reading Actually, all this stuff uh, from Actually, you know what's life. funny is, Tim, Tim Goodyear and I were talking about this, and, and neither of us really want to read more about him because we love the way Elijah's telling the story. And so it's, it's hard for me because, you know, I, I read it as he's doing it, and so people come up to me and talk to me about Wilhelm Reich, and I'm intentionally not learning more. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so now I know he dies. Great. Well, everyone dies, you know? It's... Uh... William Burroughs has, uh, I've got this great documentary where he's sitting there smoking weed in his organ box and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, quite fascinating. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the series that he's got going that I didn't ruin already. <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's, I don't know, uh, I'm trying to think about anything in particular that's, uh, I don't know, I, th- I think Elijah's drawing is really what, what like stands out in this series, I think. Mm-hmm. He's able. To, he's so interested in a time period, and so interested in in Germany. You know, the, you know. So far, all the issues have been in Germany. And uh-huh. It's just really, you know, Germany before World War Two, and there's just this great period of art and, and writing, and you know, and he he manages to weave all that into it, but also weave it into the drawing too. It's not just, you know, it's it's not just facts. It's you know. It's, really feels like the newest one feels like a Simplicissimus uh, cover or something like that, which was a German humor magazine from that time period that has amazing art. So he's really pushing to do different type of styles within it to kind of emote what's happening. Um, Well, I hope I can find it. Who? Where can (laughs) you? I'll I'll give you copies uh, at some (laughs) time. I'll show up. Hat in hand. No whiskey, but coffee. Right. <laughs> uh, like I said, either uh, whiskey or comics will make me a happy Robin. <laughs> um, how is Sparkplug dis- distrib- yeah, distributed? <laughs> I can't talk today. <laughs> uh, it makes me feel more at ease. Cause, uh, <laughs> how is Sparkplug distributed? It's distributed through... Uh, the main place is where you're going to get Reich is through Diamond, actually. Uh They've uh, done really well for me so far, or for us, with it. And it uh, seems like, you know, of course, it may hit their, their cutoff point at some point in there, but uh, but so far it hasn't. We've done three issues through them, and it's done quarterly, so it's, it's just, you know, he's putting out a new one, <laughs> you know, for uh, Stumptown, and there'll be, you know, another one three months or whatever later. And I think... Uh, 
he it's it's just you know it's available through that it's also available through uh tony shenton who's a uh a sales rep for me that deals with stores and uh he's a great sales rep he's been able to get me into like all these kind of stores across country that i wouldn't have been able to do myself like more uh, bookstores uh, he he does do some bookstores, but for me, it's just basically the comic stores that wouldn't normally give you know independent stuff a chance. Nice. And I think he's also hitting a time period when comic stores are actually opening up to those things, thanks to you know other genres not doing as well. Mm-hmm. People are actually and and they're being like you know sort of attention grabbing. Readers are wanting to kind of try something different because the old thing is not really doing anything for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, and then also through Last Gasp, Last Gasp, uh, they actually sold the Orgone box, and uh, <laughs> they uh, they are big fans of uh, Wilhelm Reich, so mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's doing really well through them. They, uh, they actually have been super supportive of all the Sparkplug books. Uh, I also sell a lot of stuff online, too. I have a uh, web store that uh, keeps me busy all day long, keeps me from drawing my own comics sometimes. <laughs> And that's sparkplug.com or sparkplug comics. Sparkplugcomicbooks.com. There we go. Comic books. Y'all go check it out right now if you're not driving a car. And if you're driving a car, it'll just be awkward. Even if you're driving a car. Yeah. Just, everyone's got that iPod thing that goes online. You can just do it. Um, now, your own comics. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that because you're a, you're a cartoonist as well. Um, it's the reporter, I think. Yeah, reporter. No, I've only read uh, one issue um, that I was able to snake out of Phil's hand. Um, <laughs> he wasn't looking, and I snatched it like the ninja I am. Um, I thought I confiscated all the issues that Phil had. <laughs> oh, stop. Place. I, don't, I don't actually... I have them... Some of them are in an attic somewhere in Ireland, but uh, oh, good. the ones I have here, not for long. <laughs> Sitting next to a case of Guinness. There's no full bottles of Guinness <laughs> in my um, So the reporter, uh, the one issue I read was uh, Korean War group. Are they all the same story, or is it different stories? Like, tell me about it. <laughs> Even though you are sound deeply ashamed by it. <laughs> uh, well, I am deeply ashamed by it, but uh, <laughs> I guess it's it's a really personal book, so I don't really like, you know. I don't know, it's that old thing about, you know, if you're really doing something for yourself, then why even bother publishing it in the first place? Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, uh, they're all stories set in a small town named Willoughby, and uh, they are, I don't know, they, they, they're, they're all different stories. Uh, you know, that one was about the Korean War, but mm-hmm. one before it was, about a, uh, a failed, uh, uh, well, not failed actually. Uh, sorry, a uh, an armored car robbery. Uh, it was a failed comic book about an armored car robbery. That's what I meant to say. Um, and then the the newest one is uh, just sort of a, a series of three philosophical debates, <laughs> and they're uh, it's at a party, and it's sort of modeled on uh, Bruce Lee's The Game of Death. <laughs> mixed with uh, <laughs> mixed with uh, La Note, uh, film by uh, Antonioni. Now, one thing I noticed just with this one issue that I've read, unfortunately, I have not read the rest. One day I will. Um, 
is the uh, extensive notes at the beginning of the uh, <laughs> the books that you read in the process of uh, doing this the the Korean War story. Um, how does that function into the storytelling for you? The research you're doing there, like, well, is putting those in there was actually kind of a mistake. I uh, I got one review afterwards that said. Uh, you know that there's so many books listed, but obviously none of them were used in the story, or there's no point in listing them all. So I, from now on, I'm never listing my references again. <laughs> but uh, I am an obsessive uh, reader and, and reference historian, and uh, basically, I'm the kid of two PhDs, so I just love to research things and uh, can't get enough of. Uh, historical uh, reference so uh, I just uh, you know if I'm going to write about the Korean War I want to make sure that I'm not going to portray things incorrectly and uh, misrepresent stuff so or if I'm doing if I'm adding in surreal things I want them to sort of feel like uh, I'm putting them in there for a reason and not just sort of because I don't know what I'm doing or something (laughs) so they work contextually yeah yeah, I, th- I think that's really interesting because it's not a subject I knew much about, but it made me want to read more. And even, like, I, I don't think that review would be entirely fair because I think when you read a book and are influenced by it, you're sort of to sense your, you're sort of distilling like the sense of the books. It's not yeah. necessarily anything direct that you're taking, but to get a feel for it, get the sense of the time, and that definitely comes across in that issue. I think. Yeah. Um. I'll uh, pay you after the interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are a non-profit radio station. No, no, no money's changing hands oh, here. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> so we'll talk about that over uh, emails. <laughs> um, I'm gonna do another quick song. Uh, I guess we'll throw on the uh, Halo of Flies. Yeah. That sound good? Mm-hmm. And then we'll come back and rock a little more. CITR 101.9 FM.
That song's got me all revved up. <laughs> I'm just like, let's go. Okay, we're going to talk about comics. Right. Um, Has see, anybody I, ever picked a 45-minute song or anything like that? Um, well, actually, <laughs> I had one time uh, someone picked a 12-minute um, <laughs> song by, uh, what's her name? British. Kate Bush? Really? Yeah, 12-minute oh. Kate Bush song. That's that's very topical, too, with the, the Reich thing. Wasn't her cloud busting was about Wilhelm Reich? Was oh, it? wow. Yeah. There we go. Phil, you're, you're a wealth of knowledge. He's the, he's the quietest guy, but all of a sudden he'll just pull this out of his ass. I'm a poverty of knowledge. <laughs> a poverty of knowledge. <laughs> and on that knowledge, um, I didn't know this, but Phil let me know before the interview some of the stuff that you've been involved with other than publishing. Oh yeah, no. I was I was just pointing out that I, I'd noticed the porno stuff or something <laughs> else. No, not quite. No, it's it's like. Uh, uh, but that makes great radio. You have a, you ha- you have a good uh, involvement in various aspects of the, the comics history. No, I, I just noticed like in the last issue of Comics Arts, they had that article on uh, Jesse Marsh, and it, a lot of the the pages that were reproduced were from comics from your collection, <laughs> which I thought was very cool. And and also you you did. Uh, for the journal a while back, you had a very interesting uh, interview with Fred Gardner, which I thought was very cool. I was very interested to hear how how you you got in touch with him first, or how that interview came about initially. Was that something that was that you initiated, or? Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly how it happened. Uh, yeah. I've been a fan of his comics, and you know, I'm basically been a fan of golden age comics since the minute i saw them but uh and maybe let people know who this gentleman is fred gardiner he's a uh golden age comic artist he died actually i think two years ago i want to say but uh actually it might have been early 2007 um but uh he uh He's most famous for having drawn a bunch of magicians in uh, in comics like Action Comics and and uh, uh, for the, the Spirit magazine and things like that, the the, the weekly uh, newspaper comic. But uh, he was friends with uh, Eisner and all those guys. But he's sort of he's pretty much a unique comic artist. He didn't uh, he didn't really draw like anybody else. And he sort of came up with his own style and just, you know, hit the ground running and was in, like, the earliest comics. He's in action number one, I think. And he has a story about letting uh, Siegel and Schuster in the door, but I'm sure other people do, too. <laughs> but uh, but he was, uh, he's just a, he's an amazing uh, draftsman and storyteller and... The interview was just basically me just asking a bunch of stupid questions and him going on and on these great stories about his career as a postman and hunter and I don't know he roughed up uh, the school principal or something like that. I forget the, the full story. <laughs> <laughs> these old comic guys—they're tough sobs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I don't know, we we, we got to beef up the the current crop. Yeah, Phil and I like to go to the gym a lot. <laughs> Definitely. Phil, Phil was trying to tell me I should be riding my bike to the radio station, which is about, what do you figure, five, six miles from where I live? Uh, yeah, so walk in the park. Don't be a wimp. Come on. Yeah. I'm a Nancy boy. <laughs> Proud and true. <laughs> so that that's not the first experience you've had um, inter- doing stuff on Golden Age stuff, though. 
No, no. I trying to remember the first uh, first Golden Age comic artist I talked to, but uh, I don't know. Uh, How about some highlights? <laughs> highlights are Jerry DeFuccio, who uh, was sort of the the man behind the scenes at Mad wow. for years, and I I never really interviewed him, but he and I just corresponded a lot, and he was just yeah. the nicest guy. Um, he. I think he might have been the person who uh, got me uh, Fred's uh, address. He he published Fred a couple times in the 70s, and he, he maintained an interest in his stuff well after he, Fred quit comics. But uh, uh, And Robin Snyder, who does uh, the History of Comics, who's Ditko's publisher. I've, uh, I tried to write Ditko to talk to him about Mort Meskin, and he wrote back a one-page very nice letter that says, I don't talk about anything <laughs> pretty much <laughs> but uh but i love Ditko. um and actually that's you know I, I don't know he's an inspiration for for me in more ways than just the art but um it's not it, that i'm a libertarian it, i was gonna say are you gonna be all like <laughs> telling me what's right and what's wrong and handing me i don't a know I, card? Uh, I don't agree with that those you know his philosophy but i'm definitely a, a fan of the way he tells it or or i'm a fan mm. of his individuality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that does seem to be a, a connecting theme with a, a lot of these folks. Like they are people who have a, a very individual voice. I think. Yeah. Well, like uh, even across the stuff that from what you publish yourself to to those people that you you know you're interested in from the past. It's uh, Pete Bag's a big old libertarian, and uh, <laughs> oh, he's you know did he read his uh, article in the in the Reason about hanging out with Ron Paul and. Being no, heartbroken no, I, when you heard about his racist uh, rants. Wow, no, I haven't read that. I read his thing about art. He wrote one a while ago. And actually, my last comic was sort of like not inspired by that, but it, it involved some uh, some inspiration from that. And but, I know uh, Chester Brown's a libertarian too. Yeah, yeah. So it's. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to expose my ignorance by asking for a definition or anything here. But it's uh, basically um, a uh, m- form of. Uh, liberalism where it's uh, really minimal government involvement at all like we uh taxes is stealing oh it's like anarchy sort of <laughs> well no there is it is um it, anarchist liberal uh libertarianism there's definitely some crossover there uh, yeah, like yeah, pete bag believes we shouldn't be paying for roads yeah, you know like now this is stuff that's on the record i'm not going and spilling dirt about people <laughs> That, that that'll be for the after hours instead show. I... An, an, an individual viewpoint, anyway. Is what yes, is important. it's very individualistic. You know, it's we we have right to our own destiny. Um, you know, big viewpoints on imprisonment, um, gun laws, gun gun law, um, marijuana, arts funding. <laughs> oh that, yeah, that's the interesting part. Is yeah, that was the one that was really because uh, Chester Brown is very heavily funded by the Canadian Art Council, so. Um, Alex hey, Toth. One of the, oh. the artists I should mention, the older artists I should mention, is Alex Toth. I was going to say you. I was gigantic influence on me and a million other people, but, <laughs> but I uh, corresponded with him for years. I'm oh. actually doing a comic about that, and it'll be in the next Windy Corner magazine that Austin English edits. Excellent. Oh, it's doing a little research because I have a. I, I get my books, man. I've mentioned this before in the show, and I'm going to start working on a on a Toth book. Oh. And um, uh, so I went through the bibliography. This is massive bibliography online. 
and your name came up in there <laughs> as as doing something toth related so what was that uh i don't know I'm, i've done a few things um i uh I'm trying to remember the the things <laughs> in particular um the one of the things i published a collection of uh jesse marsh tarzan's uh, black and white illustrations that uh toast did uh, allowed me to reprint his appreciation of jesse marsh for and, uh, that, uh, i think that might be it yeah th- there's been a few other things over the years uh i don't i don't know i've tried to like sort of remove myself from doing interviews and things like that anymore but uh but i really like like to be involved with getting that stuff out there you know i yeah how did I'm a gigantic uh, Noel Sickles fan, and uh, Toth uh, is pretty much responsible for that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's, he's, he did a lot to, to shape my interests. <laughs> How did you get into um, researching these older comics? Because you, you seem kind of schooled on the alternative, but, I mean, these guys are a completely different beast. Well, I don't... See, for me, they always seem connected, and... Uh, that's kind of one of the things that I'm, you know, I always have a problem with with uh, modern mainstream comics is it doesn't really seem connected and they don't seem like they're made by individuals as much. No. It seems like it's this sort of, you know, honed down science of, of putting out a comic where, you know, you combine the right elements and, <laughs> and you get this. It's like a recipe. Yeah, exactly. And that's not really the way I saw comics as a kid. And so, you know, the minute I saw Toast stuff, the Black Canary story he did in Adventure Comics, you know, when I was a kid, it just instantly stood out to me, and his style mm-hmm. was so, you know, him and unique that it, you know, it, it just stuck with me. I think there's a collection of Golden Age covers that my library had when, you know, I was probably six or something that was, that was a big influence. But actually, the biggest thing was uh, was Bill Blackbeard. He... Mm-hmm. I did an interview with him in Destroy All Comics, and he's been an influence of mine since my grandfather gave me the uh, Smithsonian collection of newspaper comics. Which is massive. Yeah. It's... And it's basically every cartoonist's uh, Bible in a lot of ways. Yeah. Okay. And, going, uh, going all the way to Chris Ware, you yeah. know, he, he'll be the first to say how important that book was to him. And and Bill Blackbeard is just one of the most important people in comics history, and I think he sort of... I used to go over to his place every weekend, basically, <laughs> every weekend I could, um, and just hang out and read comics and talk to him, and he opened up my eyes to, you know, all sorts of things. He's been really central um, in the most recent most recent stuff is the um, the Crazy Cat collections with oh, yeah. Fanographics, I think it's... He's been pretty much the, the archiver there, hasn't he? I think almost all, you'll find that almost all those uh, strip reprints have somehow, or have a connection back to him. The mm-hmm. Gasoline Alley stuff is, you know, Joe Matt and those guys were buying stuff from the whole, <laughs> you know, there's just all yeah. kinds of connections, and he's just uh, sort of a linchpin in, in old comics fandom. I can just imagine what his collection looks like. That's one of the most interesting things I found about uh, about old comics is that there was a series of guys like like Bill and like Jerry DeFuccio and Ron Goulart who basically kept it alive. And, you know, like Ron Goulart, you find letters 
that he wrote to artists, like in Mort Meskin's collection was a, a letter he wrote to Mort Meskin when he was a teenager in the 40s. <laughs> and he's just been a fan that long, and he's kept those guys alive and kept them interested. And, you know, there's a couple Ron Gallart books that really got me into that stuff. You know, the 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 first Jesse Marsh I thought was in The Great Comic Artist or whatever it is. But something neat about these old guys is there's a certain love of what comics can do, yeah. um, which I, I don't find... Although a lot uh, of them will tell you they did it for the money. But. <laughs> yeah, they, you know what? They could have done other stuff for yeah, money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a sort of a craftsmanship element to, to the way they approach it as well, I think, which is... It's like, it's like they're building a really cool bit of furniture. It's like a real dedication and it's sort of a... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very important. A respect for the work, I think. Yeah. I, I was looking through uh, my own little name-dropping. I was looking through George Metzger's art collection of his own original pages, and it's neat talking to him about how all these old guys will influence him and just how it, it's really passed down, and there's a certain love of the craftsmanship that, that he has in kind of putting that work into the art. So. And you really feel a sense of, like, the lineage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all love comics. <laughs> so what kind of stuff do we have to look forward to in the future of, uh, of Sparkplug? Well, for Stumptown, there's going to be Hot Breath of War, which is a book by Trevor Alexopoulos, who I published uh, Mine Tonight. Oh, Mine Tonight, yeah. Very cool. And then there's going to be Reich number four for that. And then at MoCA, there's going to be, uh, which is in June, I mm-hmm. think, the Dune or July? Dune. Yeah. Um, I'm going to publish a book called Inkweed by Chris Wright, who's an amazing cartoonist. Um, and then uh, Windy Corner, number two, which has a list of creators uh, that's pretty long, uh, but it's uh, edited by Austin English and sort of his vision, his friends, you know, people he likes. You know, so. Nice. And those are the big big things that are actually in the in the pipeline but there's there's probably about 15 other books in the works too well one thing i noticed is uh you'll Philip have needs to do a book where's your new uh, book Philip? uh it's on, on the way <laughs> he's got all these fabulous minis that would be great books in their own too oh yeah yes phil <laughs> someday over the rainbow yep <laughs> okay i'm all avoiding right. the jokes i was you know, say the rainbow and i was like oh phil um, but it's interesting because you also have uh, stuff by more established artists like uh, the Edison Steelhead yeah, book that, Renee. from Renee French, yeah. who we all love. We love you, <laughs> Renee. Put out more books. She's going to listen to this and, and get mad at me for not uh, <laughs> mentioning her at all. I should, I should, uh, should, should have led with Renee French. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> You'll, you'll get hateful, scathing emails. Um, but that's a fantastic little like side project thing. And is that kind of the reason why uh, you put that out as, as just a little side thing to her other stuff? Yeah, I, I'm just a gigantic Renee fan. And she's. I just feel like super honored that she let me do that book. It was more just she had those drawings and I loved all seeing she would just send those drawings out and or post them online and they're just so beautiful and i actually said you know hey you should do those as a book and then she said well why don't you 
put them out as a book. Hmm. I was like, really? <laughs> if you say so. But uh, she's, yeah, that's, that's, I love that book. And I, I, she's yeah, one of, she's just a big influence on me right now, just in like the, I love how vague her art is right now and how, how it's, it's just not, you know, it's, it doesn't fit into what everybody else is doing again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's sort of individual. It leaves a lot to the imagination. It's, she's, uh, no, I, I agree. It's fabulous. And it's interesting because she's kind of straddling the, uh, the different kind of genres, so to say, yeah. that we have in this small milieu of comicdom. So everyone loves her stuff. <laughs> uh, a couple other ones that stick out is uh, the Matt's travelogue, okay. Asiatic. Asiatic, yeah. Which, uh, was that just something he was intending on doing before he went, or is it something that stuck to him after traveling? It's quite interesting, little uh, trip through uh, Laos, Yeah, Cambodia. you know, I don't know whether he, uh, he in- went into it intending to do that. He travels a lot, and I think he draws a lot <laughs> that you <he> just met. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it was, again, it was something that he was, you know, taking around, and, and I've been a gigantic fan of his. Actually, it's funny, Frankie was talking about uh, San Francisco and uh, that, uh, that newspaper that Matt's published in, like, the early 90s or something, mid-90s. But uh, I've, I've been collecting his. Actually, he was in some of the same uh, mini or, like, self-published stuff that I was in an anthology called Grunge in, like, 91 or 90 or something like that <laughs> and uh we're you know met then and i've just been a big fan of his since now one of the more uh i guess um challenging comics of recent memory challenging in a good way <laughs> is uh asthma by john hankovich <laughs> yeah um that's quite a fascinating book that, yeah. that you guys put out or you put out yeah well it's actually i mean with that one, it was us guys because John basically designed the whole book, and I just said okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's—I mean—I've discovered that's one of the secrets to being a good publisher and editor is you know trying to catch mistakes, but basically just shutting up and letting the artists do what they do best, which is you know their comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, Asthma is probably um, one of the books I'm most proud of, and you know it's rare. I I'm, I like to keep costs low but that book in particular you know it was it was worth it to do well it can't be any smaller exactly that size yeah exactly and and john is just one of the you know the hidden great comic artists of our time seriously is he gonna have a new thing coming out at any point he's got stuff in mome um and he's working on a series of he did a mini called Bald Knob that uh, came out in the past six months, I think. And it's uh, it's beautiful. I think John is, is a case of somebody who's a, uh, you know, I don't mean to say this, but a real artist who, uh, <laughs> who, who doesn't, you know, it sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, not publishing your stuff and not seeing it as something where you're trying to get, desperately trying to get people into your comics. He just does them. And, if other people are interested in them, then that makes him happy. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't go out there. He he does not uh, submit to anybody. He doesn't no. submit his comics to uh, to publishers. I mean, it's a, he's it's but, his book and he's doing it. Yep. <laughs> well, we are at the end of our hour, unfortunately. 
the uh, next show is uh, standing outside with their crates of uh, records. So thank you for uh, taking the time to chat with us today, Dylan. Thank you guys, both of you. Thanks, so much. Dylan. And keep putting out the, the goodness. Will do. Okay. You too. Thanks, son. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Um, one last little thing. Uh, Dylan Williams, uh, publisher of SparkplugComics.com. Mark Plug Comic, Comic Books. Comic com. Books. Yep. Um, Phil has an announcement something that's happening on Saturday. Yeah, in Vancouver, on uh, there's a part of the Illustrated Journey project, which is a project that where uh, newcomer youth to Canada have done uh, their own comics based on their experiences traveling, and they're basically going to have an exhibition and a book launch on uh, Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 12th of April, and it's uh, down at the. Um, Mount Pleasant Community Centre, and that's just a 800 East Broadway, just a, a block east of Fraser. And it's it's uh, the main event is kicking off at two, and there's food and stuff there, and you can get to see the kids' artwork, get to see the books. Some of the stuff is really amazing. Like uh, there's kids that never drew a comic before; they came along, did did the classes with uh, Hoshway Menjivar and uh, Jonathan Dalton back last year, and this year as well, a bunch of other artists, and some really terrific stuff and it's well worth a look if you're in and around that's on uh, saturday at the mount pleasant cultural center there we go and uh, i'll probably be there and phil will probably be there and uh, i hope you'll be there if you're in vancouver if not you're lost CITR 1.9 FM. Up next is Crimes and Treasons. You lack the minerals and vitamins. Irons in the niacin. Fuck who did I affair? Rappers sit back. I'm about to begin. Bow foul talk your squall. Never even walk the wall. More or less destined to get tested. Never been arrested. My album will manifest many things that I saw, did, or heard about. Or told firsthand. Never word of mouth. What's in the future for the fusion and the change? Your rappers are in danger. Who will you switch to be a remainder? When the missile is aimed to blow you out of the frame. Some will keep their limbs in. Some will be maimed. The same suck. With the gab about killer instincts would turn bitching, knowing damn where they lack in this division. The connoisseur cracking your head with a four by four. Realize, sucker, I'll be the coming like Noah. Always simmer you down, perpetrating facade and what you consider an image. To me, this is just a scrimmage. I feel I'm stoned, not cause the bopper wear my cap cock. The more emotion I put into it, the harder I rock. Those who pose lyrical, but really ain't true, I feel. Speaking in tongues about what you did, but you never done it. Admit it, you bit it, cause the next man can't platinum behind it. I find it ironic. So I researched and analyzed. Most write about stuff they fantasize. I'm fed up with the bull on this focus of weed and clips and glocks getting caught and wax not being flipped. It's the same old, same old, just straining from the anal. The contact is not complex to vex. So why you pushing it? Why you lying for? I know where you live. I know your folks. You was a sucker as a kid. Your persona's drama that you acquired in high school and acting class. Your whole aura is plexiglass. What's the face told me you shot this kid last week in the park? That's a lie. You was in church with your mom. See, I know. Yo, slow your roll. Get with good to go. Guys be locking in this thing called rapping just for dough. Of course, we gotta pay rent so money connects. But uh, I'd rather be broke and have a whole lot of respect. It's the principle of it. I get a rush when I bust some dope lines or roll. That maybe somebody will quote. That's what I consider real in this field of music. Instead of putting brain cells to work, they abuse it. Non-conceptual, non-exceptional. Everybody's either crime or 
motivated or sexual I'm here to make a difference Besides all the riffing to traps I'm not sticking Rappers stop flipping for those supposed lyrical But really ain't true I feel Bad times imitated hard rock too 